Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today, we got a bunch of news to talk about just over the past week and a bit. Um, about six signings actually happened, which is, feels pretty rare for this point. But uh, come the trade deadline, there's a bunch of guys who decided to sign with their teams instead of getting moved. Um, you know, part of that might not be wanting to move during COVID, just comfortable, lack of cap space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we have a bunch of those signings. Uh, we've got a couple other things to talk about as well today. So it's going to be mainly news focused, but uh, that's all right as well. Um, so let, let's just start with the oldest signing, I guess, uh, in terms of when it happened. And that would be the Tanner Pearson signing. Um, Tanner Pearson re-signed with Vancouver on April 8th. So I think four days ahead of the deadline. Uh, he signed a three-year deal, a $3.25 million cap hit, 9.75 total. Uh, again, we talked about Vancouver as, you know, a team that probably should be selling. We weren't sure what they were going to do because of the COVID situation. Uh, but this just absolutely wasn't it, in my opinion. No, this was a terrible contract that I saw a surprising amount of people try to be, like, sort of wishy-washy on. Yeah, like the, the biggest takeaway I saw was that it was a fine contract, but not for Vancouver, which like, I don't even know if I would go that far. Like, I don't know if like, like if Tampa signed this, I don't think I would be that excited for them. You know? No, Tanner Pearson's like a replacement level player. He's like, he's the exact kind of player you do not give term or money to. And if you're going to give one, you absolutely do not give the other. Yeah. And he's having like, this is his best year by a, um, RAPM standpoint, the past three years before it have just been not good at all. And like, it feels like they're betting on, I mean, I, that, sorry, that's a lie. Three years ago, he was very good, but for two straight seasons, he was not. And then this year he's been slightly above average. And I don't know, it, it feels like they're just kind of betting on the year 28 season and like year 26 or year 25 versus 26 and 27, which uh, is quite the, quite the gamble, I would say. Yeah, it seems like a huge gamble. Like, he's so – he's old enough at this point. You just know who he is, and it's, it's not that good. Like, he's played 400 minutes this season. Yeah, he's been better than usual in them, but, like, that's nothing in the grand scheme, grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I don't – it's one of those contracts where it's, like, it kind of reminds me of the classic, like, uh, almost New York Islanders contract where you sign it and you go, well, that doesn't seem very good, but it's not going to kill the team. Um, but like, it doesn't mean you should be signing it in general. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is the kind of contract that kills you with like a thousand cuts or whatever. It's not like the Drew Doughty anchor or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's own. So it's bad in and of itself, like you said, but like with me, it's only crippling because there's like four other of these contracts on the team. Yeah. Over the past three years, he got a minus 5.6 goals above replacement, um, like if you're a Vancouver fan, what you're banking on is the two years before he had in combined, he had a 23.6. He was really, really good with those like peak LA teams in like 14 to 18 or whatever. But since coming to Vancouver, I mean, he was in Pittsburgh for a little in that one season as well, but since coming there, like he just, he hasn't been good, you know? Yeah, exactly. He used to have like, all right, play driving numbers. He was never like a huge point producer and it appears that's gotten worse which he didn't have far enough to fall from for that to make it okay yeah i feel bad shit talking to him do you know where he's from yeah ali uh or i guess to the listeners my girlfriend landscaped his house like three years ago he's from like 10 minutes from us 
Yeah, I just say he lives in Kitchener. He's from born in Kitchener, Ontario. He lives, uh, you know, not not too far away from us. I think Mike Hoffman's from there as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it was a great contract, but it makes it it's it's made even worse by the team signing it because like Vancouver should have been trying to get all the assets they can get this deadline. And um, you know, we're going to be talking about Vancouver a bit today. And I get the COVID stuff um, um, complicated things, but at the same time, like they re- they sold some other guys like and even if you can't sit like even if teams really were like not sure about the COVID thing with Tanner Pearson and like maybe you're only getting offered like a seventh or whatever either take that or just let him play and walk in the offseason you know like uh, this is just it, signing this contract just did not seem like the move yeah exactly especially when you look ahead and you know our our uh what's his name Quinn Hughes and Pedersen Pedersen are both both up this summer and they're already in tough to sign them. Like, like it's, they have a projected cap space of $16 million this summer to sign Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen, uh, Hamannick's off the books, Edler's off the books, uh, Boyd's off the books, VC's off the books and Sutter's off the books. So yes, you have my, like you're going to have $16 million and you need to re-sign Pedersen and Hughes, but then also find about four other, five other guys to take places of some not like Alex Edler plays a pretty prominent role on this team. Still, you know, Travis Hamannick between those two, like you're missing a second pair defenseman on like on this team, my first pair defenseman, a third pair defenseman, I think like, it's not like it's insignificant roles you need to fill there with money and, I would assume 16 million would probably take up Hughes and Pedersen alone. hundred percent, especially because like near point per game center on his ELC, like even if you bridge Pedersen, he's going to take up close to half that. And what you really want to be doing is screwing Pedersen into a long-term contract. That's you have to up the AV on the relative to a bridge, but you get a ton more years than you should, but they just can't do that now. Yeah. Like the only thing they might have going for him is that Pedersen struggled early this year and then was hurt all year. So maybe that drives his value down either on a bridge or maybe you could even get lucky enough to get him long-term. But like, I, I just, yeah, I, you'd think that Pedersen will be asking for um, at minimum on a bridge, probably $7 million, right? Like a seven by three minimum. He could probably ask for more, but, and if you're going long-term, like I would assume it should be upwards of like, what Sebastian Ajo get? Was it 9.5? Like, I would say more than that. Oh, yeah. Long term, I think he asked for Marner money and get slightly less than that. And then on the bridge, like the point contract seems like the most logical comparable. And that was 6.75, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. So I would assume like right around there. And I think he could even make the argument that, you know, like we, uh, whether it actually affects it or not, like taxes and stuff like that um, for, you know, why it was so low. So he should probably, he could probably argue for seven to seven and a half. So. Yeah. And they need him more than Tampa, even though points great, they need him way the hell more than Tampa Bay need a point. Cause Pedersen's one of like three things worth caring about on this team. Yeah. Another interesting one is going to be Quinn Hughes because he was unreal last season, top like 10 defensemen, arguably in the NHL. He's been brutal this season, other than the power play. He's been lights out on the power play, but just brutal in his own end, not producing anything offensively, not helping offensively in terms of um, driving play at a a good rate. Like his point totals have been really propped up by the power play. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Yeah, it sucked. Hughes' year has been worst case scenario for Vancouver because he's been far worse than he was last year, but not in a way that's going to make him cheaper. 
No, he still got 20, he did two goals and 26 assists, 28 points in 38 games. Like, it's not like that's a bad number. He's on pace to probably get, you know, that's a 60 point pace, which again, if, like oftentimes in the NHL, in the NHL, they just, teams just look at points, whether, you know, like whether that's, it's not smart. I can tell you that, but you know, they, that's how contracts get done. Anyways, time on ice and points are the two biggest indicators of how you're going to get paid. Yeah. And Hughes has both. Yeah. So like, I, I'm just going to cap friendly right now to, to see what uh, um, uh, contracts they have for each of them. Um, like projected. They have, yeah. Projected contracts. Sorry. Um, why, why am I on player projections? Come on, Alex. Uh, cause they, you know, and uh, like a credit to evolving hockey, their, uh, contract projections are really good. Like they are obviously in the NHL, you can't always predict it, but they're like close to a T sometimes, like There's, about as good as you can get. I did my, uh, fourth year, like summative project on predicting contracts and I was able to get like 85% accuracy and they hit like 90, like out of sample. Yeah, it's insane. So, uh, Pedersen's most likely predicted contract is six years term at $8.8 million, which again, seems about right. Like that's, you know, uh, if you go up a year or two, you probably get up to 9.510. Um, they have him, if he takes a, th- is the next most likely is an eight year term. They got 22% on that. Uh, and that would be 9.85. So and even that I think is low, like lower than if I'm Pedersen, I'm asking for. Uh, a three-year term is the third most likely, 13%. That would cost him 7.6 by this projection. So, like, I would assume, depending on the term, he's going to come in from high six to uh, high nine, you know, low 10, honestly, if, if depending on a three- to eight-year term. Yeah, so half your cap space is gone with just Pedersen. And then you look at Hughes, and his most likely is actually only 28%. His is a lot more spread out. But uh, at 28%, that's a six-year term, and they have him at $6.7 million still. So it's yeah. not like it's going to be cheap. You know, like but between those two, if they went um, six mil each, there's 15 mil tied up in the both of them. And you're not complaining about that, but then you have one mil to go sign like four guys. Yeah. Which is why the Pearson contract doesn't make sense, right? Like it's not about, it's not about that. You don't want these guys. Of course, you're going to give these guys the money. It's why are you repeatedly? And again, if this was the first contract, it'd be fine. But Anton Roussel, the Brandon Sutter deal, uh, you know, Tyler, Tyler Myers, like just, they've been for years doing this, you know, Louis Erickson, just years that they haven't learned over half a decade, not to give guys like this money. Exactly. Like every, every GM gets their mulligan or whatever, because they all sign bad deals. But like Jim Benning has shown at this point that he just grossly overvalues the least valuable players in the NHL, like just mediocre middle six slash bottom six players. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those things that I, I, I really don't understand. And it's going to be really interesting. He had a quote saying, I don't foresee us being in any cap issues this summer, which, uh, I'm sure he's going to get dug up quite a bit when they're trying to, you know, actively sell their soul to get rid of like Brandon Sutter or whatever. Um, it, it'll be interesting. They're going to lose a player to Seattle. So that'll help a little bit. But again, like there's a chance that Seattle takes like a Tyler Mott or something, and then you lose a $1.25 million salary and that doesn't really do anything. Yeah, exactly. It's also kind of weird that I've, I've heard the Seattle argument a bunch too, and they have like the third biggest analytics staff in the NHL at this point, and they're not even a team yet, I think, something like that. 
And everybody seems to be banking that Seattle's going to be complete idiots and just taking that bad contracts. And I well, would bet a lot of money that won't be the case. Unless I don't understand why people, unless they're taking on assets, which as we it, saw with Vegas burned every team that tried to do it basically. Yeah. Like I just, I, I don't understand after three years removed from a team just absolutely destroying the draft lottery in which honestly at the time, and I still stick to this, I think they could have done a better job if I'm being completely honest, like Obviously, I'm not in the room or anything, but to me, there was a couple times where it was like, I guess, you know, they, they screwed up on their draft strategy. They took 10 defensemen, assuming they could corner the defense market, and it just didn't work. Like, if they would have just taken a couple more best players available, they might have been even in a better shape, and they were still amazing. And I would argue the Seattle team looks a lot like, maybe not a lot, but smarter than the Vegas team, and people still just are like, oh, yeah, we're going to lose, like, Tyler Myers to this or something like that. Yeah, it's like you might lose Myers, but it's going to cost you like a first round pick and then some because like betting on them to be idiots is not a smart bet. Yeah, well, I even retract that because there's rumors that they really want to protect Tyler Myers. Like his play and contract, his playing contracts protection enough. You don't need to protect him. Yeah, that'd be the most Jim Benning thing in the world, though, if they protect Tyler Myers. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't, I don't know. We'll get back to Vancouver because there's a suspension. Actually, you know what? Let's just do it right now. Um, so obviously they they were coming off of the COVID stuff and uh, they played the Leafs last night. Honestly, I was shocked that game happened. It's feels a little irresponsible of the league. You know, they had like nine or six not regulars in the lineup or whatever, seven maybe. Um, they still beat the Leafs three two in overtime. Holtby stood on his head. Uh, Alex Edler got five in a game for a knee and call on Zach Hyman, who is uh, getting further work done in Toronto. Uh, he got suspended two games for this. Give me your opinion on the suspension uh, because I have a couple that I you know like. I, that I want to give after. I'm glad he got suspended. It was like we always say, it's the kind of thing that you just don't need in hockey. So it's very, very, very good to punish it. Yeah. So um, obviously I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for you know any amount of time knows that um, I'm all for more suspensions. Uh, that being said, I was freaking shocked. This got suspended. Like Me too. Actually. I was happily surprised that they suspended this because this I'm, seems like the kind of, willing to let go with five i'm fine with it but like them suspending this almost pisses me off more that they look at headshots and go no that's no problem like don't get me wrong this should be a suspension i think one or two games is a fair number i don't think edler meant to go break hyman's leg or anything like that but that's what this play can happen you know like hopefully hyman's okay uh you know the dude's a warrior so i'm sure he will be eventually but um you know like that's just a dangerous play you don't need in hockey but it it pisses me off that they look at that and that's what gets suspended and not just a blatant head check or whatever it's like where is the consistency within this department yeah i never really thought about it through that lens but it is kind of ridiculous that just like random dudes go head hunting and that wasn't those aren't suspendable but then this is where they draw the line yeah, for sure. I mean, like Vancouver, like if you go to the Department of Player Safety or any Friedman tweet about this in the past like couple of days, Vancouver fans are just like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Like, like it just like this is Vancouver, this is Leaf bias. It's like, oh my God, like the Leafs don't have guys suspended on their plays. Like, or like, like I think this is the second time in eight years or something that a play against the Leafs has been a suspendable act. Like, yeah, Jeffler's been tracking that. Right here. Yeah, I have it right here. This is the second time in exactly eight years that someone has been suspended for something they did to a Maple Leaf. There's not exactly a history of bias here. Exactly. And like, the, the I'm NHL pretty sure the other one was this year. Like, I think it, it was. I know yeah. going through this year, it was like 2013 or something insane. Like the last time it happened. 
Yeah, and it's just like it's one of those things where like there's Vancouver fans just whining. It's like, yeah, just because it's the Leafs, or it's like this is stupid. Like Hyman deserved a penalty. It's like no, 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 no. Edler stuck his knee out, and Neon need him. Like I don't think he meant to hurt him or anything. It was just a bad play that he got caught reacting to. But like this is what you know. Like this is a fair suspension. I, I just I, I like there's people on both sides where it's like give your head a shake that you don't think this is suspension. But I also can't believe that like this is where they drew the line. I was I was pretty surprised when it was. Yeah, it is. It is odd. I never understand where, where, and when the NHL decides that this is when they need to draw the line. That's that will probably always be just a complete mystery to me and all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, I don't really have much on Vancouver. You know, I, I thought this is my suspension. We haven't. It feels like we've had no suspensions this year. I don't know if it's just because there's been a lot of smaller one-game ones. I feel like there has, but uh, you know, the Department of Player Safety sucks ass, and I just. We've gotten mad at them for years on this podcast. I don't want to lose any more of my life just screaming about it because they suck. And then that's just as much as you can put it. Yeah. And it's the same conversation every time. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to change until they get new ideas and just new blood in there. Like it's disgusting that like people in the organization say they think it's actually on the person getting head checks for fault for getting head checked. It's like, no, that's not how this works. But uh, um Whatever. Uh, let's move to the next signing then. Alex Iafalo, another guy who was high up on the trade board, bait board uh, on Monday, didn't didn't uh, get moved. He re-signs with the Kings. Um, he re-signs for four years at $4 million. Another contract I didn't really like, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I didn't love this contract. I didn't hate it because you need like some competent players to still stay throughout the rebuild and he's young enough, but I, I just like, that. I don't like, I don't like has he's competent enough like players. Top. You know what I mean? He, like he's, he's 20, he's one year younger than uh, Tanner Pearson. And, like, yeah. If he was like 24, I would be like, this is a much better deal than him signing this at 27. I would say, and it'll kick in when he's 28. So, but like, and they already have Kopitar. Dustin Brown's got one more year left. Adrian Kempe is 24. You know, they have Brendan Lemieux, who a bit of, you know, he's a shit bag, but whatever. Um, Andreas Athanasiu, like they, it's not like they're just super, super young. Like I, I would have much rather see them try and get a second or a third round pick if like that's what was being offered. And, you know, flip him like it's one of those things where it's not like i don't foresee them needing the four million dollars in cap space by the time it's up but it's going to be close enough where it's like this is kind of the area you're going to start paying your stars hopefully like the um obviously velarde but then hopefully the byfields of the world as well so i don't know i I much much rather i think see them flip him than re-sign him to this deal to be honest Oh, yeah, like a second-round pick or whatever helps their long-term cup odds by a lot more. Plus, even if the stars are still on their ELCs, maybe this restricts you from going out and signing like a Patrick Marlowe-style contract, assuming instead of Patrick Marlowe you get someone good to play with your stars, and that would be a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, maybe this isn't the perfect example either, but a Marion Hosa kind of deal like the Hawks did in 2010, you know, like when they had guys on the cheap, it's like, if this is even something that permits you from signing like a top six player to a reasonable deal, like, or Tyler to something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, when yeah. Montreal did exactly. Yeah. Like if this even like remotely restricts you, it's a bad contract. I think I follows a fine player. I, I don't think he's great. I don't think he's bad by any means. It's just, he's kind of, whatever he's having a good season this year last season he was very close to replacement slightly above average you know two seasons ago 
I would say he's again about replacement level. You know, he's a pretty good defensive player. Doesn't bring anything really offensively. There's some value to that. Um, you know, it's not the worst contract in the world. I just, I think I would have rather them flip him than, than sign him. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's the classic guy who clearly, I don't think NHL teams view him as a superstar talent. So this contract's going to look really bad near the end when the LA Kings finally have skilled players to put on their power play instead of him. And this guy's not getting uh, power play ice time. The contract's going to look a lot worse than it does now. Yep. Um, a couple smaller ones. Let's start with the Gusev one. So Nikita Gusev, we kind of touched on last episode, but not really. Uh, he got bought out by the Devils. Just, I guess, they're, I'm assuming there wasn't a trade partner. Uh, he's just, you know, not fit with the Devils at all this year. Uh, he hasn't had a great year, I don't think. Um, yeah, he's been pretty miserable in all categories, to be honest. The Florida Panthers signed him on the cheap uh, because of that contract termination. They get him at one year, $1 million, you know, prorated or whatever. But uh, I, I thought this was a good bet for Florida, to be honest. Like, I don't think Gusev is clearly, he's clearly not the unreal top six forward we thought he might be. You know, even last year when he had pretty good numbers, it was solid offensively and the power play. Can't play a lick of defense, but uh, there's definitely value there for, a, you know, a, either in the Panthers top six or a third line role, maybe. Yeah, hundred percent. And on like your second power play unit or whatever, there's a chance he can chip in. And if not, it doesn't matter. Cause what's this going to cost like 300 grand. I think it probably they'd probably pay out the full one million, but I'm not really sure. But even then, it's one it's one million dollars. Like who cares? Yeah, it's like just above league men. It seems like a safe enough bet, especially because um, Gusev's NHL numbers don't look great on it. They don't look good at all on aggregate. But like, it's not like New Jersey's this great team. Not that Nashville yeah, is I mean, either. There's still a chance that he could fit better somewhere else. Yeah, well, like, that's what I mean. Like, he had 44 points in 66 games last year with a bad Devils team. Like, that's not that bad. Like, if you yeah, if you get anything with that production in Florida, Florida's laughing, you know? He's already got one assist in two games. But, like, if he goes, you know, uh, oh, what's the ratio on this? Uh, it would be two-thirds, I guess, right? Like, 0. 0.66 point, points a game. Like, you're laughing about that, absolutely, for $1 million. Yeah, but- Especially, yeah, exactly. It seems like a safe enough bet. Low risk. Yeah, I, I, I think it, you know, like, we kind of ripped their offseason or their deadline because, you know, I thought this was the year they should at least try and push a little more into the center. And their big move was getting Brandon Montour, which I just don't think was was really the play. But uh, I, I thought this was a, a pretty smart, you know, signing to try and get some, some depth offense going and, you know, see where it goes. You know, it's a low risk, uh, you know, almost no risk, high reward kind of play. Exactly. Because as see, like a Toronto fan would know, even loaded offensive teams can really use to buy a goal in the playoffs. Hey, you know, you know, I heard they have too much offense and they don't actually need any more right now. You know, don't don't look past the fact that they have what six goals in their last three games, five goals in their last three games and an over three, oh, and three or whatever. But uh, I, I heard they need more off or they don't need more offense. They're good. Right. They've and you take their fourth best forward out of the lineup, and all of a sudden things look really ugly. But no, they do not need more offense. Yeah, um, Scott Lawton he signed a five-year deal for three million dollars. I feel like I the Gusev one is the only one I actually liked out of these contracts. One or two of them, they're kind of whatever, and most of these are ugly. Uh, why are you signing Scott Lawton to a five-year deal, man? Yeah, this was this was a terrible contract. This was the worst out of all of them, not because Lawton's a worst player. He might actually be the 
best player. I'm kind of hesitant to say that. He might be the second best player other than I follow that we've talked about, but like five years for a player of his caliber is just so unnecessary. Yeah, I'm not even like totally sold he's much better than Pearson, to be honest. Like I could see. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but just like if you look at their um, numbers over the past three seasons on aggregate, like they're really similar charts, just in different ways. Lawton's probably slightly better, I would say, but for the extra couple of years and the fact that like we have a history of Pearson being legitimately like a good play driver, I don't think they're that far off and I would not want either of these contracts. And one guy got uh, three years at more money and another guy got five years at uh, less, a little less money, but I just like I don't think three million for Scott Lawton would be that great of a deal if you signed it for one year. It would be fine. Like I wouldn't be complaining about it, but even like a three by three, I would have been like, eh, you probably don't need to do that. Five years just seems so aggressive. Oh, a hundred percent. And the weirdest part is like these guys have been kind of bad on teams that have been kind of bad in a league where everyone's broke. Like, who were you bidding against to do this? Yeah, like it's not like the Flyers. They clearly seem to think this year's an outlier because, but they've been like, like shit this year. You know, they have been bad, bad, and they would they, they like, yeah, like they they looked like a good team last year, but they go every other year where they look like a good team, they look like a shit team, they look like a good team, they don't look good. You know, like Scott Lawton's not the guy you need to lock down to keep you know change your fortunes on that. No, you will live and die with how Claude Giroux and Jag- Jacob Voracek and Sean Couturier age. It has nothing to do with Scott Lawton. Yeah, I so like, I, I just, I don't understand. Yeah, and like Provorov on the back end as well. But like, I just, I don't get why you're, like, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand the logic in this deal at all. He, he'll be 27 when it kicks in. Like, he's a whatever player. I don't think, he, again, he's not like, none of the guys we talk about are legitimately like horrible. It's just, they're all kind of like, replacement level or a little bit, you know, maybe a little better. I follow, I think is a step up definitely from replacement level, but it's just like, they're all contracts where it's like you, if you had an option to get a pick at this deadline when everyone's supposed to be broke and you're supposed to be broke as well, why are you not just taking that instead of signing a deal? You're probably going to regret in three years. A hundred percent, especially because if this off season goes anything like the last one, you could probably just add like a million dollars to that and get a Tyler Toffoli level player because nobody has any money. Yeah, or even take $2 million off of that and get a Josh Levo level player who I don't think is much worse, if at all worse, than Scott Lawton. I think you can find Josh Levos who are better than Scott Lawton for like league men. Yeah, like, I mean, I I would absolutely argue Josh Levo's been better than him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't even think it's, like, it's not like Levo's amazing or whatever, but, like, I don't think it's difficult to find Josh Levo's who are better than Scott Lawton. No, I mean, like, like I don't know. You look and, like, obviously Toronto's in a bit of a unique situation, but they found, like, a, a Spezza, even Simmons. You know, he's looked not as great lately, but, you know, Tyler Ennis was a name that for years was – he struggled this year, but, like, the Tyler Ennis's of the world go for 700K most years. Like, those are all useful players, and I don't think they're – much of a downgrade from Lawton and you probably save $2 million and four years of term. Like it just, it doesn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah. Not even remotely. Um, you know, and we're going to keep this train going because there's one more that I freaking don't like another five-year deal 3.25 this time. It's Adam Lowry, 16.25 total. 
I don't know, Larry might be. I think it's because I listen to Overdrive and uh, Jamie McLennan on Overdrive for whatever reason loves Adam Lowry, but he just feels like one of the most overhyped people. Like they always just like, oh yeah, Winnipeg's third line is so unreal. It makes Winnipeg's top nine better than Toronto's top nine. I'm like, what are we smoking here? Like Adam Lowry again is like a fine player. I would say replacement-ish like over the last three years. He's a defensively responsible player, but he, he brings nothing offensively. And that's the exact opposite type of player that I want to be signing for five years because defense tends to go sometimes sooner than offense, you know, like. A hundred percent. It's more noisy. It can just seem to go at any given time. Like Lowry had one really good season, but that was, he was hurt and he played like 700 minutes in total that season. And he's been all right, but not good since. Yeah. And even that season was what, four years ago now? Yeah. It was his 2016, 17 run. Like, Oh no, sorry. It was the year before their playoff run. Right. No, no, no. What's their playoff run? 2017, 18. Right. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Which is four seasons ago now. Like, yeah, four seasons ago for what, like a 28-year-old? Yeah, who is yeah. going to be 29 when this contract kicks in. Yeah, so for that to be true and him not to be good anymore, it would mean he peaked at 24, which is like the most common age for forwards to peak at. Nothing to see here, he's getting worse. Yeah, and it's been a steady decline year after year. For Like even this year, he's like having a quote – I don't want to say breakout season. That's not the right word for it, but he's putting up more points this year. I believe like he's got, uh, he's got 20 points in 45 games last year. He had 10 the year before he had 23 and 78. So he's putting up the most points he's put in years, but like, even with those point totals, he barely produces offensively for goals four per 60. His expected goals are way below and everything else is just very, very slightly above average to the point where he's probably a replacement level player. Like it's just, again, it's, it's not that he's even a bad player. He's a fine player, but he's not the player you lock in at five years at $3.25 million. Yeah, exactly. He's the kind of guy you can win with if he's on your third line because you have great players in your top six, not like the Nazem Kadri level third line center that you're trying to lock in for term. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I don't know, like everyone kind of treats him not quite as the Nazem Kadri level, but I don't think people like some people see him as that far off in terms of like, where he is for a third line center. I just think that's a very big misevaluation of him, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, it sucks with the salary cap because you have this trash on these contracts where it's like, he it doesn't have to be bad. It's just, it's just so much money in term for a guy who doesn't move the needle at all. Oh yeah. And I mean, like, I, I feel like we need to say like for all these guys, great way to get your money. Like, that's awesome. I'm never blaming the the uh, player for signing a deal. I absolutely like, it's, it's great for them. Right. And I just, I, I don't know why the team is doing it when everyone, the team just complains about how broke they are the entire year. Yeah, a hundred. Yeah, especially all these contracts are so much worse right now because of how broke everyone else is. The great yeah, beside claims they are. Three years, the three year goals above replacement. There's uh, Tyler Ennis, Danton Heinen, Michael Furland, Jason Robinson. Like there's, it's not like superstars surrounding them. It's just guys. It's just fine third, fourth line players, you know, which is what he is. And it's just like, that's why you don't pay him like, like a second line or whatever. It just, I don't know. I will say though, I thought the AV was going to actually be higher to be honest. Like I did too. I'm like a little surprised they got it this low. Although again, the term probably, 
yeah, they jacked up the term. And who were they bidding against? Yeah, I don't know. I, I expect it to be like a four by four, a four point. I expected his contract to have something with a four starting in it, but I thought it was going to be like a 4.5 times three or whatever, not five years. Yeah, 100%. This was just unnecessary. Yeah, and again, like it feels like we're probably, I mean, we are trashing on these contracts. They're, none of these contracts are going to absolutely sink a team, but it's just a bunch of these contracts put together sinks a team. And also avoiding these contracts at all costs allows you to go do what smart teams do and pick up really good guys on the cheap, you know? 100%. Yeah, it's just the death by a thousand cuts thing. And it sucks in Winnipeg because they have a couple. Winnipeg's not in like an awful spot, but they do have a couple contracts that you don't love to see. And this just makes it, makes them more constrained than they already were. Yeah. I mean, they're really in a spot where it's pretty clear that they kind of got to go for it now with this core, which, you know, they're about that age, obviously Wheeler's 34, Kyle Connor's 24. So he's right in this prime. Shifley's 28. Uh, Dubois is only 22, but Ehlers is 25. So you got guys either just coming out of their prime in the middle of their prime or about to enter it. It's like, this is a perfect time to go for it. And it's just like, is Adam Lowry really the piece you need to lock up for the entire time? Probably not. But I mean, I guess like, I don't know. They, they, they're going to be fine cap wise. They still have, I think, uh, you know, Hellebuck's on a sweetheart deal for what he brings, obviously. Um, and then, you know, the, the only, I would say, just really ugly contract right now is uh, Josh Morrissey. Yeah, Wheeler's maybe, not. But maybe Blake Wheeler, actually, too. I kind of forgot how much, you know, he's, but like, I, I guess at least he's producing points. But uh, yeah, that one probably is going to get ugly real quick, too. He's got like a sneaky bad contract where, it's the the point totals look all right, but everything beyond that looks just freaking awful. Yeah, and it was the classic when it was signed that everyone loved it because he was in the middle of putting up his point per game season or whatever, and all the stats nerds were like, "Yeah, that's uh, that's not going to be great." He's been just he, he literally doesn't play defense. This is like yeah. Connor. This is like peak Connor David level bad defense. Yeah, they signed like a what was he like 32 when they signed it and he's been worse than we could have possibly expected and yeah like all 32 year old contracts are going to be mostly bad i looked at his rapm numbers and it was like not great like every five on five metric was pretty much in the negative like some of them but they were mostly just like just barely in the negative and i thought that was this year that's his three-year running sample which is uh just been getting worse every year to the point where this year it's like he's just He's a very below replacement level player, which is funny because, again, I'm pretty sure he's racking up points right now. Yeah, and he's still clearly – like his passing talent or whatever will make him look good on the power play. But, like, at five on five, he's just so aggressively exposed. It's not even funny. Yeah, he's had 32 points in 39 games. And, like, even his power play, the production's above average. The um, expected outcome's not. And, like, again, those those are a little fluky. You can probably outproduce that quite often. But, uh, yeah, that's a pretty bad contract. A um, couple other things. Uh, Marlowe, uh, we're recording this on Monday. Patrick Marlowe is about to break the game's played record uh, today, t- tonight, when, you know, so it'll, it'll be broken by the time it comes out. <laughs> There's a bit of an argument about this on Twitter, which of course there was. There's an argument about everything. Uh, you know, a couple of people were talking about how they don't, I don't know. It was, is, don't think it's fair. Is that the right word? I, I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but there was a couple of people, I don't know if even complaining, complaining, pointing out, whatever. Like, they were saying Patrick Marlowe doesn't deserve to break the game's played record. It was roughly he, what I kind of decided. Yeah, at least one person said that. Like, there was one guy who, uh, you know, 
there were there, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to name names or anything like that. Um, somehow it got into a debate. Pretty much it boiled down to the fact that, um, you know, for the past three seasons or whatever, especially this year and last year, he's been very below replacement and he's just kind of breaking the milestone because he's just getting put out there as an old body for two or three years now on like not great teams. Um, I mean, three years ago he was on Toronto, so that's fair enough. But um, that, that was kind of the complaint. And like, I don't know, I, I said my, my take on has been, I kind of understand like where you're coming from, where it's like, you know, right now, it, it's Gordy Howe who has the uh, games played record. Um, and, you know, when you look back, it's like, oh, that's a very, very popular name, right? Like, I, you know, I you know, identify he's one of the best to ever play the game. Um, well, well over uh, um, a thousand, like he had over a thousand assists, 800 goals, 1800 points, um, you know, and then you look now it's Patrick Marlowe and it's like, he's got 700 less points granted, you know, eras are, a little bit different, but it's like Patrick Marlowe was what the 15th, 20th, 25th best player of his own generation. Like I get that argument a little bit, but at the same time, like it's just pretty damn impressive that he's lasted this long in the league. Yeah, exactly. Like good for him. It's one of those things where it's so stupid to be mad that Patrick Marlowe is breaking this record that you kind of just need to fuck off if this actually angers. Yeah. If you're upset in any way, you need to just, turn off your phone or whatever for a while. Like just as simple as that. If your reaction to Patrick Marlowe breaking the games played record was anything other than just kind of like shrugging your shoulders and being like, good for you. And then of course, like sharks fans probably thrilled for him who watched his prime or whatever. But like for most normal people, the appropriate response is just kind of like, yeah, good. Yeah. Or even just like, if you want to go on the other side, Oh, that's really cool. I got to see someone break a games played record, you know, like that's, really impressive or whatever but yeah if you're just actively losing sleep about this or whatever it's like yeah you probably need to just go find something else to do for a little bit you know yeah and if you look at the three-year running goals above replacement percentiles on evolving hockey some names around them um Lawson Krauss, Corey Perry, Adrian Kempe, Sam Gagne like it's not like if Patrick Marlowe was like the worst player in the league for the last three years, I'd be like, God, maybe you have a point, even though San Jose is bad team, you still shouldn't care anyways, but like, maybe you would have a point, but like there are like tens, maybe hundreds of worse players than Patrick Marlowe playing in the league. He's not yeah, good. Like, he's not, like, he, he hasn't been good since 2017, 18, but like in 2018, 19, he was, a decent chunk below replacement, but then in 2019, 20 in a more limited role, he was about replacement, which like, isn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like, 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 I don't know. It's fine. It is what it is. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, it's, if he was like the, this weird outlier where every time you put something on a chart, you were like, Oh, Patrick Marlowe is just way worse than everyone else. Be like, whatever. And then, but he's not, he's just, he's not good, but it's not like he's, it is what it is, you know, like, I just like good congratulations to him. Like that's an awesome, it's an awesome achievement. You know, like I will understand the, the barest definition of the argument of like um, maybe, it, you know, people reading it may, thinks it means more, you know, if we look back in 15 years, it's still Gordy Howe versus Patrick Marlowe. But at the same time, it's not going to be Gordy Howe anymore. And, you know, people can just get over it if they don't like it. And like, just like, like going through his hockey DB is so impressive. So obviously, Last year was a shortened season, but he still managed to play as I think a what 38 year old was he last year? He's no, he's 40, a 40 year old last year. He still managed to play 64 games, which 
or 66 games, which I think was just about every single game he could have, other than the ones he missed probably for travel. Uh, the years before that, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 48, because it was a lockout sort of season. So we played all 48, 82, 82, 82. He hadn't missed a game since like 08, 09. Yeah, which is like, that's just impressive, you know? Like, yeah. And he was mostly really good for like, Oh, yeah. Like, in, in, you know, in some of those stretches, he had 83 points, 73, 64, uh, 31 in the 48, 70, 57, uh, 48, 46, even that first year in Toronto, 47. Like, that's not a bad player by any means. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he had one good year in Toronto, I believe. Yep, his first year. And then his second year, he still put up 37 points in 82 games. He just was a mess defensively and just couldn't keep up with the play. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's been since. Time, but he's yes. still, yeah. Still rosterable but yeah I, I don't know like I, I don't think it's something people should be absolutely freaking out about i understand maybe the rawest form of the argument but anything past that and i mean even with the rawest it's just kind of like you say you get why you see it and then you go but at the same time good for him yeah exactly that's all that really matters because we don't really see records like this broke and we're probably not going to see many records like this broke unless Obi breaks the goals record for a long time. Literally like Ovi's the next one, the only really possible one I think that we can see. Um, and it, I don't know. Yeah. Like it just, that seems unlikely now because of how many games have been missed. It's doable still, but he's got to play like probably five more years and score an average pace of like 36 goals a year, which even for Ovi, I know it doesn't seem like he's ever going to slow down, but uh, that's, yeah, like that's tough, you know? Yeah, he basically can't age if he's going to break it and can't miss any more time due to random bullshit like COVID and lockouts, which exactly seems like probably safe there, but you never know. Yeah, and like for goalie wins, like Marc-Andre Fleury moved into uh, fourth the other night, uh, 486 now, great for him. He's uh, 200 behind Martin Brodeur, who's at 691 right now. So uh, he's not catching that, obviously. Um, you know, he probably, he will catch Roberto Luongo. He's three games behind, three wins behind him. So he'll catch him this year. Very likely, uh, you know, almost guaranteed. I would assume, uh, actually, I guess there's only what 12 games left and he probably only play half, but, uh, if not this year, he will definitely catch him next year. Um, so, but like he's still yeah. then 200 wins away from a hundred wins away from first second and 200 from first. So it's just like those records do not get broken very often. No, not at all. God flurry's 36. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's insane, right? Like he's been done and come back four different times. Just in terms yeah. of his career arc, like it's it's honestly got to be one of the funniest career arcs I've ever seen. Like taken for he was a first overall pick. I don't feel like many people remember that. Yeah, and then people view him as this like clutch, like playoff goaltender at this point. But it's like he spent like his close to his prime, like just actively sewering the Penn's playoff chances too. Like yeah, he he was like careers. He went from God penguin to just sewering them to actually, no, I'm going to be a God for two more playoff runs when I need to be back and forth. Uh, granted, I, I think it was the 2017 run. He actually, you know, it was Matt Murray was more of the savior there, but it was just like, yeah, I'll be actually really good for playoff runs. And then Vegas, it was like, no, I'm done again. And now it's like, no, I'm actually really, really good again. It's like, what is going on here? Yeah, he's had a wild career. But um, yeah, did you know that all four of the most winningest goaltenders in can or in uh, the league in history now have come from uh, Quebec? Really? Yeah. Who's that? Brodeur. Fleury, Luan- oh, and Wa, right? Brodeur, Wa, Luongo, and Fleury. So all four of them from Quebec. That's kind of wild. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that uh, twelve of the thirteen are Canadian. 
Yeah, that is kind of nuts. It's funny, actually, how much um, NHL talent Quebec puts out. Like, Ontario makes oh, sense yeah. because of the population. But, like, Quebec's wild. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was just one of the most um, NHL things of all time. And granted, this changed a little bit, so maybe my narrative's a little off here. But everyone had been talking for the past week, it felt like, about, ooh, like the Flames, they might catch the Canadians. And so I'm tuning in the other day, and I think it's, like, probably close you know like the way people talked about it, it sounded like it was actually a two-point swing you know like they were like two games behind montreal is six points up with two games in hand right now and i'm like that's <laughs> basically insurmountable in the nhl where is this narrative coming from they both have the same amount of wins the difference is montreal has six more overtime losses and they also have two fewer or like on top of that they like calgary's got three overtime losses compared to nine and then 22 regulation losses compared to 14. So it's like, like, where's this narrative? And granted they played each other the other night. So going into the game, I think it was a four point spread. So if Calgary would have won, it would have been a two point spread with Montreal having two games in hand, but like, I get like, so it makes it a little more aggressive, but yeah, I was like the way people were talking about it. I honestly thought it was like super, super close. And I was like, no, it's a six point spread and Montreal has two extra games to play. Like, and those games only matter if you win them, of course, but having the two extra games is a lot better than not, obviously. Yeah. I saw a chart from Dom talking about it and it was like the flames playoff hopes are almost entirely dependent on sweeping their remaining games with the Habs, which of course you don't really have playoff hopes. Yeah. Like they have, 20% 20% chance for money puck. Like this so-called close playoff race has Montreal at 76.4, Calgary at 9.19.7. Vancouver still somehow has a 5% chance, which is astonishing to me. Um, you know, they're 10 points out with the, uh, I mean, they, they played so few games that I guess that's kind of where it's going for. But um, yeah, like I, the, the other thing I want to bring up was just like how aggressive the playoff race is or like the lack of playoff races this year because of the divisional play with no wild card. Like I feel like I took maybe almost took it for granted, but there's now um, what I do. Yeah. So there's 13 teams with an 89% chance or better. And I have to say 89 because Boston is at 89.8. So if you round up 13 teams are at 90% or better, and that includes four teams that are already a hundred percent and another five teams that are at 99.1 or above. So like, It's like the playoffs are locked in with 15. Like the closest battle is Arizona and St. Louis. Arizona's got 45% chance. St. Louis has 34. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's just so obvious who it was like based off what we said preseason, you can go through every division and be like, well, stars were slightly worse than we expected. The Panthers were way better. East was pretty easy to call. The Flyers were worse, I guess. Uh, The blues were worse. The coyotes were Slightly better, I guess. Honestly, and I thought this is kind of where the coyote, the, the star, the uh, wild were better. The blues were worse. The wild were better. Yeah. And then the flames were worse. The jets were better. Like it's other than that, the divisions have been hilariously easy to call this year. And there's just no drama in the playoff races at all. Yeah. And just down the stretch, it's like, it's one of those things where St. Louis and Arizona are playing, battling to see who gets absolutely demolished by Colorado or Vegas in round one. Same with just like Nashville and Dallas are technically fighting. Just see who's going to get spanked by either Carolina or Tampa in round one. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where it's like the race is so boring where in a normal year, it'd be more entertaining because if you ask how Montreal wouldn't be in a playoff spot right now, the Rangers would be because they would have that wild card spot because they have more points. 
Yeah, so it would actually have a race. Montreal would have something to catch, although they wouldn't be that close. No, they're still pretty far behind too. But then in the Metro, it would at least be a race to try and get in the division versus the wild card. There'd still be other teams available in the wild card. Like it'd just be, it'd be way different or it's more different. And, and that's the thing that I definitely think the league, um, you know, was going to, is missing this year where it's like, instead we're getting this very obvious race where there's still a couple battles for standings. You know, like, it's not like the jets are even, they're four points behind Toronto, but with 11 games in hand, that's not insurmountable or anything. Um, and then, you know, in, in other divisions, like the avalanche golden Knights division battle is really, really entertaining. And same with, you know, the, the East division feels like it could be any of the you know, three teams still. And Bruin, the Bruins are really making a, a turn on here. They've won four in a row and they're seven, two and one in the last 10. And then the central, again, the hurricanes, Panthers and lightning is a, a great battle to watch for the top. So it's not like there's nothing to watch about or watch for. It's just Predators, Blackhawks, and Stars are just battling to see who's going to get smoked, so no one really cares about that. There's just most of the teams that are out of it are out of it or don't have a chance in the playoffs anyways. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I just want to bring that up and talk about how just, like, aggressive it seemed like this year because I feel like it's nowhere near like that, and I imagine it's because of division play. Yeah, it makes sense because it's not like uh, now you can pick up points playing your, like, Western road trip or whatever. Yeah, exactly, and it's just like – yeah, and there's no extra spot to have. So if you have a better division than a not like a not as good division, you know, teams are getting screwed in that better division, right? Like the Rangers are getting screwed this year. That's for sure. Oh, they absolutely are. I think they're going to be a nice like regression candidate for next year. Yep, and I mean, I yeah, they, they could be an interesting pick. I know uh, the PDO cast had uh, Rob Pizzola on, and that was an awesome episode. I, I definitely if you're at all into sports betting go listen to that. But he was saying the market already overvalues New York probably, which I thought yeah. was surprising. I was looking into that and I didn't realize that betting markets were so high on New York, but yeah, yeah. they're really, really high in New York. And that seems a little aggressive, but they are at least like a league average team, which is better than I think we would have expected. Yeah. Like they're, they're a solid team. You know, they're the clear step behind the favorites and everyone like that, but you know, they're a, playoff team or it feels like a team that should be really competing for a playoff spot again next year yeah they're in that like murky second tier of like they're not a contender but they're could ease you could easily see them making the playoffs kind of thing exactly um i think that's about it uh thank you everyone for listening as always you can find my work at lastwordinhockey.com and milehighhockey.com uh, you can also find me on Twitter at NHL Sons and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, you know, if, you, if there's anything you want to hear, let us know. We're always open to feedback. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week.